is this? Poison what? All right. Well, hold on. Let me. Uh... Dart frogs, huh? Yes. Okay. So hold on. Let me just fix this really quick. Sorry. Oh, they have those metal statues out of these uh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, can, give us a second. All right. Hello and welcome to Just Animals podcast. I'm Elle and with me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hi, we're here just in time. Yes. And today joining us, we have two actual special, we have two special guests, actually. One, we have Scott from True Exact on the show with us today. Hi, how are you guys doing? I'm excited to learn about this animal. Your tone of voice says otherwise, but that's yeah, right. okay. <laughs> I'm trying to be silent right we now. Will harm you. We will not harm you. Right, yeah. And then with us, our exciting special animal guest expert, we have Dr. Corey. Oh, sorry, Dr. Corey Richards, the wacky, all the way from Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, right? Yes, from the University of Pittsburgh as our special guest today. Uh, Dr. Corey, if you want to just give yourself um, a little brief intro, who you are and what you do, and we'll get into it. Sure, yeah. I am a professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Pittsburgh, and I'm also the director of that university's biological field station, which is where I happen to be at the moment. Um, I study amphibians, their ecology, their evolution, their conservation, and a lot of my research um, happens in Panama, which I'll talk about um, throughout the podcast, and some of it happens um, in different parts of the eastern United States. That's so cool. So yeah, give us a little bit. How does someone find themselves in the amphibian world? Just really quick before we get into the poison dart frog. This, I mean, we, I love, we love to ask that, you know, like whether it's hyenas, <laughs> poison dart, amphibians, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there is a general path, but my path is definitely <laughs> not a straight one. Um, I was an engineering major in, um, in college and I liked it in the classroom, but didn't like it outside the classroom. And I didn't know you could do this for a living until way later. So I just switched careers and ended up with frogs. But yeah, I think I was like kind of addicted to National Geographics and, and that sort of thing. And I just didn't realize you could do that you know, for a living. <laughs> right, very cool. Yeah, we're, we're big Nat Geo fans over here too. So is there a specific poison dart frog that you studied in Panama? And then what led you to Panama? And then if that's, there's a specific frog, what about that specific I, I have I have a more fundamental question. Okay. Jesus. Let's let's start with amphibian. From my understanding. Okay. And uh, I, I he's not a, a creationist, okay. We'll yeah, just, no. just preface From that. From my understanding, <laughs> an amphibian can breathe air or breathe through water like a fish. Is that correct? Um yeah. Well, so they they <laughs> most of them have lungs and so can breathe like us. I say most because there's a whole lineage of salamanders that does not even have lungs, but they Whoa. also breathe through their skin. And so yes, getting <laughs> oxygen through their skin, whether they're getting it from the air or from the water is is one important thing they do. Yeah. So are you telling me that an amphibian in essence has uh, some type of an electrolysis where they're breaking the water down into a hydrogen and oxygen? Heard. Not exactly like that, no. <laughs> okay. But yeah, they do have very permeable skin. So how do they extract the oxygen from the water? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, it just sort of diffuses across ion channels within the skin is my, is my guess. <laughs> you just so blew our minds, stay. time out. You just blew our minds with, we're, we're gonna have to go, we're you're gonna have to come back and talk about the salamanders without lungs, just oh, so yeah. you're aware. You with that is not my area of expertise. <laughs> okay, expert. well, you'll so get us the salamander with lungs without lungs expert. <laughs> um, so, 
this uh, breathing mechanism automatically flips depending on if they're terrestrial land or in the water, correct? Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely not using their lungs when they're underwater, um, but they can be breathing both through their skin and with their lungs when they're out of the water. So wow. it's not like a one or the other kind of thing. Okay. Does, when they're in the water, uh, is is there similar efficiencies or are they limited to the amount of time underwater that they can spend or they could just keep extracting oxygen unlimited uh, amount and just stay underwater? Um, well, some of them can stay underwater for a very long time. So for example, here in Pennsylvania, where I live and work, we have amphibians that hibernate in the water in the ponds over winter. So they're there mm -hmm. under the ice all winter long. So yeah, long time under the water is okay. Wow. Cool. Is that, is that uh, is, I don't know if I'm saying it right, is that torpor? Is that what it's called? Is that what they're doing? Um, yeah, I I'm trying to think of the definitions between torpor and other types but yeah I mean it's generally like a slowing down of all your body functions during a time when the environment is harsh okay yeah okay back to now now back to how you ended up in Panama and the Panama poison dart frog if that's what it's called oh, wow <laughs> Panama yes so I ended up in Panama actually for my PhD research and I was studying a very brightly colored amazing frog called the Panamanian golden frog which is technically not a poison dart frog, although you might think it was one just based on its color. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. So then later on, um, I moved to studying an actual poison dart frog, which is called the strawberry poison dart frog, which is found in Nicaragua and Panama and Costa Rica along the Caribbean coasts of those countries. Wow. Okay, strawberry. I mean, it, it sounds like something so sweet. Oh, a strawberry frog. Like it doesn't sound like this can kill you. So what's yeah. their scientific name for this strawberry poison dart frog? The scientific name is Ophaga pumilio. What does that even mean? Ophaga pumilio? Well, the, the genus name Ophaga is a really cool word because it means egg, egg eater. Oh, really? Whoa. So that gives you a clue about a really interesting part of their life cycle, which is that yeah. the, the um, moms actually feed their tadpoles their own unfertilized eggs. So without the mom feeding her unfertilized eggs to the tadpoles, the tadpoles would not survive. So that's Whoa. why they get the egg feeder. Yeah. Aren't they really good parents, too? Yeah, they're well, that's what I liked about the poison dart frog. I read they were good parents. Yeah, because if you're a bad kid, what do you think you're going to get from a poison <laughs> dart frog mom? She's going to get a dart frog on you. And right. my mom just kicked my ass and beat me with a trap. You know. Okay, so Dr. Corey, I don't know why I have this. Uh, Please don't read our the Wikipedia page. Please no, don't. No, do that. And the knowledge base. Let, let me talk. That poison was associated with red in animals. And I guess I'm wrong because these dart frogs are all different colors. So where where did I get this from? What? You're not wrong. Where red. did I get this <laughs> yeah, yeah. from? Explain <laughs> to him his, thought, his own thought process. No, I, I mean, I'm not making this up. I, I sort of thought in nature, when you see a red thing, that that's, you can tell that that's poisonous. I'm not sure if that's- That's an old Brooklyn thing. What about a cardinal? Yeah. yeah. Well, so you're not wrong because red and yellow are really common warning colors in the natural world. 
and you see a lot of red and yellow poison dart frogs as well. And so, yeah, the I think the idea behind those colors is that they're really easy for predators to pick out. And the reason those warning colors work is because the predator attacks, can see the color really easily, attacks, but then has a negative experience with that color. And so it's easy to remember and avoid the next time those really bright colors like red and yellow. Okay. Well, it seems like the golden poison dart frog uh, is pretty lethal for humans, according to- Yeah, well, well, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Okay, so, okay. I mean, I'm, I granted these things are like, they're bright red. They're, are these the, the ones with the blue legs too? Or are they just, oh, okay. So like when you see, when you look up poison dart frog, like that's the frog that usually comes up. Yeah, so they're called the strawberry poison frog because they have, well, red, you know, bodies. And right. then they usually have blue or black limbs and they have little black spots like strawberry seeds. However, the reason I'm interested in them is because they don't always look like that. And where I oh. study them in Panama is on um, islands off the coast of Panama in the Caribbean. And on every island, they are actually a different color. Some of them are red, but some of them are yellow, some are orange, some are green, some are blue. So like, it's like Darwin's finches in the Galapagos almost. Yeah, exactly. So wow. yeah, we've been trying to figure out why are they all different colors and what's driving that? Right. Oh, yeah. So is that like genetic isolation, geographic isolation, like all that I'm sure is coming into play in your research. And that's, that is so cool. So yeah. what's their average size of them? I'm mean, obviously they come in every color of the rainbow. They're like Skittles, but what's the average? <laughs> they are, are they not? I mean, is that a fair we've, comparison? We've called them Skittles before. Yeah. Ah, see? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Corey. Can you let her answer? Are, are these frogs don't they have these bronze statues in Hawaii that, that some artist has replicated and sold She's them? in a Latin country. Why would, what? No, 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 but I'm talking about the- Oh, I bet I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. <laughs> there is um, a poison frog that was introduced to Hawaii. Oh. So that's probably that one. Yikes. Well, I think, that, are you familiar with the artist that, that does those bronze poison? I think, okay. Frog man, anyways. Yeah. Back right. to their size. How, I mean, what are- I'm imagine they're frogs and they're, are they like teeny or frogs? Are they on the large size or yeah, how much do so they weigh? A couple grams? Among the whole dart frog family, there's a, a range in sizes. So the largest ones are probably like, I don't know, a couple inches, maybe. That's pretty big. Like, but the one I study is only like two centimeters in length. So like the, the length of like your thumb to your first knuckle, they're oh, little guys. Wow. How do you even find that in the wild? <laughs> Well, they're really brightly colored. <laughs> that makes them easy. And they also sing. They call. So you can hear them and then go to where you hear the sound. No kidding. How much do they weigh if they're like that teenies? Are they like two grams or something or? Half a gram. Half a gram. Whoa. And that's so, like a, wow, that's amazing. You said you were in Panama because I'm looking at something that says that they like 70 to 100% humidity level. Which yeah, is what's the ideal, yeah, what's the ideal poison dart or strawberry poison dart frog environment? I mean, obviously swampy conditions, Sweaty. rainforest. <laughs> not, yeah. not, here in the, not here in the desert. Uh, no. Yeah, generally hot and humid. So they, um, they don't actually um, associate themselves much with ponds and streams like most um, amphibians do. Huh. They use the water that collects inside of plants and really, you know, really rainy environments so usually like um bromeliad plants if you know what a bromeliad is or like you picture like the top of a pineapple like that that um, oh yeah yeah and the water collects in there and that's that's where they put their um their um tadpoles to develop so they don't actually need big water bodies but they need lots of rain to fill the fill the vegetation with water 
Wow. So Dr. Corey, is their skin poisonous or do, well, is there- well, Wait, 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 we'll get into the poison aspect. Hold on, there's a couple other things I wanted to hear first and then we will go to the exciting part. Hold on now. He likes to jump ahead. Sorry, Dr. Corey. Scott, do you have any questions about their environment before we move uh, on? Not environment, but just in a, in, um, a perspective of how do you, how did you choose such an obscure uh, animal to study? Um, yeah, what's your I'm curious about on? that. Like, I know people, like we've, we've interviewed shark experts and like, that's pretty cool, like common. All right, the ocean, sharks are big. They're, you know, sharks. They're out there. <laughs> right, like why such an obscure animal, as cool as they look, but like, what, what's the reason? Well, I don't know. I mean, it must be something about my own biology, I guess. I was always attracted to, to frogs. I guess like as a kid, like they're the thing that you can catch that's not going to like bite you and it's not going to like, hurt you and even these these uh poisonous frogs i mean unless you eat them you're, you're it was the it was the phd lottery wheel and it wound up on yeah. the, the poison dark frogs and said i'll take it that's really no, cool. i was i was mostly fascinated by their colors and you know their warning signals and yes how they communicate with each other and one more thing sorry how diff how difficult is it being in pittsburgh where these things aren't really found and having to study something that's in a, on a whole nother country, like resource-wise. Um, well, I get to visit Panama a lot, which is great. Um, so when we're not in a pandemic, that's better. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as a grad student, it was awesome because I did my my graduate work in Michigan, which is kind of a cold Ooh. place. Oh, so I like every, those cold well. places, Dr. Cole. Yeah, you are glutton for punish yeah. punishment. Every <laughs> winter, I got to leave Michigan and go. Oh, well, see, if you got to only spend the nice months in Michigan, there you go. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Corey, I got to jump on this question. Every animal expert that we have Somehow or other, the Department of Defense is studying them for some reason or yeah. other. Oh, there she's there. It is. There so it is. I, I, I want to know what know? what that no, connection is. Sounds like you're going to say yes. <laughs> as long as you can uh, discuss it, as, I don't want you to like. The, I don't want you to get like your your signal will go out because yeah, you, right. don't, you, don't wanna red, you don't want to see you don't want to see a red beam show yes. up on her right. forehead. Right? And then you're all Whatever now. you could say, what is the DOD? Why is the DOD studying these frogs? And I'm assuming they are studying them because they study every animal practically for some engineering purpose. But go ahead. You, you okay, take so you are not wrong. Our research ah. has been funded by the Department of Defense. However, it is not it was not the poison frog research. It was research that we were doing on an amphibian disease, a fungal disease. And what so- What do they want to do with the disease? What does the DOD so, mean? So yeah, the Department of Defense is in charge of stewarding a lot of land, um, oh. a lot of wildlife in this country. So they want to be able to, so the, the, the funding we had was to understand how disease and climate change are gonna interact. So they wanna be able to predict when climate change is going to lead to disease outbreaks that will threaten or endanger species so that's what we were working on for them oh okay okay so how is the uh how is the uh, poison dart frogs population doing are they doing okay well the one that i study is doing okay and that's because it lives in a place that's actually too hot and humid for um this fungal disease but it, elsewhere in panama um amphibians have been wiped out by the fungal disease and that's actually how I started working in Panama oh. in the first place was trying trying to figure out you know what was going on with that so I, I mean I, I'm sure you're obviously aware of this but it seemed like I don't know maybe it was the 
20 teens or something, all of a sudden amphibians were like on the front page of everything. And cause they were all just mysteriously dying. Was that, that fungal outbreak that was okay. Okay. Just kind of, yeah, I mean, together. that and other things like, right. like I said, amphibians have really, you know, sensitive, delicate skin and they're permeable to everything in the environment. So sometimes we, we, we can't be sure that it's one thing or the other, but that disease, you know, has been linked to declines and extinctions in over 500 amphibian species. Whoa. So like Dr. Corey, was the disease leaked from the lab or was it from a bat? <laughs> <laughs> yes, those are the two options, right? Yeah. Yes, that. those are the only options you have. <laughs> now, now, what human, what human um, uh, interaction has, was there any human interaction that has caused uh, the decline in it and like what specifically have humans been doing? If I can interject, Scott, humans are the problem for every animal. Oh, wait, you know what? I, well, yes, and yeah. we agree to disagree. But in this regard, like what what have they been doing? Have they been just like moving in? Goddamn plastic, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my my state just my state just got rid of plastic bags throughout the entire tired thing and i'm adjusting myself here but if it's get, for the a, get a canvas bag and start reusing <laughs> yeah so if what human interaction yeah so it probably still is our fault um it's most <laughs> likely us moving amphibians all over the world for various reasons so the the fungal diseases we think the latest theory is that it came from asia and it moved of course. all over the world Stop. in the last um about 100 years or so and so we think it was the global trade in amphibians for research, for food, for all sorts illegal of illegal pet trade, illegal pet trade, all of that, that probably moved it to all these different places. Speaking of amphibians and world travel and illegal pet trade, did you, have you ever brought any specimens from Panama home? And if so, how do you like, um, do you have to get like a passport for the, for the frog or like, how do you get clearance to bring this non-native poisonous species to another country? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure they clear you, yeah. No, they have nothing to do with that one. But um, <laughs> yeah, so anytime we do bring a sample back from Panama, we have to have the correct permits um, and all of that has to be lined up before we go. So um, the poison frogs as a group are classified under the CITES protocol, which is the, um, the group that uh, keeps track of trade in endangered species. Um, Trade, trade, yeah, trade in indigenous species. So um, for them, we have to get special permits to import anything that has to do with the poison frogs. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How long do these things live? I mean, I, I haven't yeah. known amphibians didn't have very long lifespans. Is that correct? Or Yeah, that's a good question. So I know now that, you know, in, in captivity, the species I study can live more than well, 12 or 13 years, which is a really, really oh, long time wow. for an amphibian. But we yeah. did some research actually in the wild um, to try to figure out how long they were living on average. And there were actually, you know, wild frogs that we recaptured after four or five years. Oh, so wow. they apparently can live a long time, even though they're like, you know, the size of your thumbnail. Right. So what are their predators if they have any? I mean, fung fungus aside, but um, yeah, if they do have any predators, what, what would prey on that? Right. Yo, so in theory, they do have predators. Otherwise, they wouldn't be so amazingly brightly colored, right? Right. But the challenge is figuring out what those predators are because um, they don't get attacked very often. <laughs> so we have uh, a few sort of anecdotal 
um, accounts of things like birds attack attacking them. Um, we I saw a crab take one down once. Um, <laughs> a crab. A crab. Yeah, I just like took him down his little hole. Whoa. Um, yeah, and some snakes, but like they don't seem to have an obvious like this is their predator that right. we can point like, to. Like they're the obvious food source of some other animal. Wow. Okay. Isn't that kind of strange though? How they would. I mean, I'm, once again, I'm an amateur at knowing animals and stuff like that, but wouldn't they develop the poison because they're a main prey of a predator? Like evolutionary, like evolution would tell you that, like a porcupine with spikes and whatnot. So like, how, do, do, does it go as far back as you know if they were just regular frogs that developed this poison because of something specifically? Yeah, I mean, it, they must have predators. I mean, everything has predators. It's, it's just that, like, in some cases, you can say, like, this is the predator on that. You know, this is their main predator. And for these little frogs, we haven't we haven't figured it out yet. But yeah, you're right that, like, the fact that they're toxic and brightly colored suggests that their whole lineage of frogs has evolved that as a mechanism to avoid being eaten by, by predators. So because they're brightly colored, we can guess that whatever predator it was, they're one that uses their visual system to find their prey. So that's why we think things sense. like birds are probably good guesses. Um, snakes, maybe not so much because they're not very much visual predators. They more use like chemical cues to find their prey. Right, chemoreceptors. Well, if, if they're poisonous when you eat them, do they enact that when they're being eaten or is it like too late? Do they have to like- Yeah, let's, let's start from the beginning. Let's have, first of all, are they born poisonous? Do they become poisonous? Where does the poison come from? What is yeah. the poison? <laughs> we'll get yeah. into that. Good question. Um, so in this species that I study, we believe that they are actually born, born poisonous because okay. they get those toxins from the moms who put them into the eggs oh. that they feed to the tadpoles. But that's not true for all- poison frogs so some poison frogs probably don't start out toxic because they don't get those eggs oh no kidding from their moms yeah so in, in my species yes we think they start out toxic in other species no but the interesting thing about their toxins is that they don't make the toxins themselves they get it from their diet so the the tadpoles are getting it from the eggs that they're eating and the adults are getting it from the insects that they eat. So they eat leaf litter arthropods like ants and mites. And those animals are getting their toxins from the plants and fungi that they eat. So, so Dr. Like, Corey, the, yeah. the frogs do not have a gland that creates these toxins is what you're saying? They, so all frogs have some toxin glands in their skin, but the, the main ones that make these poison frogs poisonous are not ones that they produce themselves. They are alkaloids that they get from their diet. This is We're interesting because yeah. uh, I'm on the Oakland Zoo page. Oakland Zoo has a, 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 pan, a yellow, which wouldn't, hold on, <laughs> the uh, Panamanian golden frog. That's our local zoo, Dr. Corey, somewhere. Yeah. We're yeah. So, so here's a question I have for you because it's interesting that you, what you're saying, it says that the, um, it's most toxic, the, the Panamanian golden frog secretions are the most toxic of the entire group. The Panamanian golden frog has multiple cardiotoxins and neurotoxins. Can you explain the difference between Whoa. those two? Wow, sure. that's yeah. scary. So <laughs> before you go too far, that's the species I did my PhD on. So thank you for asking me the question that I absolutely know the answer to. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> we want to make you look good. Yeah, exactly. 
so cardiotoxin is a toxin that that basically attacks your heart and makes it stop beating. And then a neurotoxin yeah. is one that focuses on your nervous system yeah. and shuts down your muscles more than your- DOD your wants both. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. So that, that frog you're looking at on the website is actually not a, technically a poison frog. Oh. It, it, it oh. is toxic, but it's not in the poison frog family. And that one, it's toxin is called tetrodotoxin, which is a really interesting story because there are a is lot it, of different animals that have tetrodotoxin. Like is that Z E T E K I T? That one? Yeah, Adelopus detecki is the name. Yeah. Oh my god. So it shares that toxin with blue-ringed octopus and right. fugu pufferfish and newts and all sorts of things and you know, how they, all these animals got this similar toxin is kind of a big mystery, but it's probably produced by a bacterial symbiont. So it's probably a bacterium that's on their skin that's making the toxin. No so it says it has two forms of Z, how do you say that? Zetechi toxin. Zetechi toxins. Kind of like your last name almost. It's very yeah. fitting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are these two forms different? Mm, I don't know. Okay, we'll get back to that. Yeah. All okay. Right. So wait, what? Okay. Now you got to explain toxic frog versus poison frog. I mean, I mean, both sound toxic to the lay person. Like if you say poison frog, toxic frog, I'd be like, I don't want to touch it. But what is the difference right. between them? <laughs> yeah. A toxin and a poison are probably pretty similar. What you want to distinguish them from is a venom. So a venom is something that's delivered through a bite and, but a poison right. is something that you have to ingest. So right. yeah, these are poisonous. You have to eat them. Okay. They're not going to eat you. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, venom, it has to, it's venomous. If it bites you and it kills you, it's venomous. If you eat it and it kills you, it's poisonous. That's like a little rule I learned. I never knew yeah. that. I never knew well, that. Well, now you know, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Fan that's phenomenal. So yeah, so back to our little strawberry frog. Um, what is, so they eat insects and, and ants and whatnot. Is that their main diet? Just these in, for rainforest insects? Okay. Yeah. And so are they toxic to the touch? I mean, when you're handling these specimens, are you, you know, in a hazmat suit or how does, how does that work? <laughs> no, um, they, yeah, I would be careful not to put like my hands in my mouth or in my eyes or something like that Ooh. after I've handled them, that would probably not be awesome. Um, but unless you have some sort of cut or something, some way for it to get into your bloodstream, you're fine handling them. I don't know if I would do it with some of the really toxic ones from South America, but. but so yeah. don't barehand the frogs is what we're getting at here. Yeah, maybe not. Okay. What, what would happen though? Like, would your hands blow up, like just swell or like, I mean, I'm sure someone's tested this. Like there's been guinea pigs, right? Like sadly. Yeah. So yeah. like, what exactly would happen if I just tripped and my bare hands accidentally squashed? or touch two of these and his like, face oh, oh and my his, god and his face. yeah and then i touch my face like what's happened like what goes on how long do i have to live <laughs> i think you'll be fine um, oh, right. i mean that their their toxins are because they're you know they're meant for their predators and they're meant they're meant to leave the predator alive so that it can learn to not do that again right oh, it's a warning so shot it right. takes a little warning shot. Right. And so I can tell you that, like, we've done some experiments with um, not their natural predators, but things like chickens, mm. where, you know, we can watch the chicken try out eating one of these guys. And, like, it clearly tastes bad. They, like, rub their beaks on the ground and, like, try to get rid of that taste. But 
both the chicken and the frog come out unharmed in that case. Oh, oh that's cool. Okay, good. No, chicken on, on frog crime is not a problem. That's good to know. Dr. Corey, <laughs> I'm reading something from Britannica that says officially the International Union for Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources has classified the Panamanian golden toad as a critically endangered species, noting that it could be extinct in the wild. The most recent census of the species, which was conducted in 2018, reported that there were fewer than 50 adults remaining. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what's the toad? Is our toad and the frog the so, same thing? So this is the this is the one that I said is not truly a poison frog. That's the one I did my PhD on. And gotcha. yes, that's true. That those guys um they went downhill fast when that fungus got to Panama. Although there are a few populations that are surviving with the fungus and that's awesome yeah wow what is the fungus what does the fungus do to them dr corey yeah so the fungus attacks their skin um and it makes it really hard for them to do the things that amphibian skin does like exchange ions Uh and um do things like water balance so um it eventually can lead to uh basically a froggy heart attack and can kill them. Wow. Yikes. Okay. So speaking of heart attacks, this is all, all my favorite things. Um, <laughs> you mentioned something about their communication, which is something we do like to touch on, 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 on our show. Oh. Uh, obviously they, you know, frogs ribbit, I'm sure they do more things than that, but um, no, they do more things are they, that. I'm do they have like, you know, any like chemical communication or what, what are, what are the strawberry frogs ways of communicating? Yeah, so I can't tell you that they don't have chemical communication. That's something that we haven't really studied. Um, the salamanders in the amphibian world are the better chemical communicators than the oh, frogs. Okay. Um, but they they definitely communicate with sound. So yeah, these frogs make the males make calls. Mostly, it's males that call in frogs, and that call attracts um, the females, and then they have this elaborate courtship between the males and the females that can last for hours before they actually mate so yeah call is part of it but also one of the things our lab has been studying is that color is also an important part of their communication so the females are choosing males based on their color and the males are also choosing which other males to fight with over their territories based on their color so So when my wife turns red i know that's a bad sign yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming they want the brightest, the reddest, you know, brightest, yellowest, you know, frog, male frog out there. That's. Oh, hold on, Dr. Corey, I got to ask you about this because this is very interesting. This is really piqued my interest. Uh, this is a back again with this uh, Panamanian frog here. It says the male frogs make a whistling noise and have at least two different kinds of calls. There is especially interest. This is especially interesting behavior because the frogs have no external eardrums. Researchers. Oh, okay think that they may detect sound through their lungs, which are located right beneath the skin and vibrate when sounds hit them. Tell us more about these lung. <laughs> wow. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, so actually that's one of the reasons I got excited about studying that frog for my PhD, because I was interested in these frogs that communicate with sound but don't have external ears. Wait, yeah, so, that's really weird. You yeah, think it's so, the lungs that are detecting it? It could be. So they don't have external ears, which is like the the sort of round tympanum. Right, like what we have. Like if you picture a bullfrog, they've got this big round thing on the outside of their head. They don't have that, but they do have the internal ear structure. So they have some of the bones on the inside of the ear that can still transmit sound waves. Okay. Ah. Um, And um, yeah, so they could 
detect sound with anything that vibrates. So some frogs, if it's a low frequency sound, they actually detect it through their forearms through the ground. And yeah, so maybe that's like vibrating the lungs um, or something like that. I guess it's like if we're playing music really loud, you could hear it, like you could feel it through your chest. Like yeah, the that kind of well, there's, there's bone conduction, yeah. you know, like when you go yeah. to the dentist and the drill is, is vibrating in your head. It's... Okay. I, have, I have a question about this fungus that nearly knocked out uh, a lot of them. You as um, an expert in, in your field or any field, how much do you have to stay out of things when you decide it's natural selection or as opposed to human interaction? You know what I mean? Like, like when they're filming people attack, like animals attack and they film, they stay out of it. So like, how do you guys distinguish that? Right. That's a good question. So when that fungus came, we had a little bit of warning because it had, had come sort of as a wave of, of epidemic, um, through Costa Rica and Western Panama. And so a lot of these species we thought were gonna get completely wiped out because they were like sort of endemic or only found in this one region of Panama. And so uh, a lot of what we did was actually take some individuals out of the wild, put them into captive breeding colonies just until we could figure out what was gonna happen because we sure. didn't wanna lose them entirely. And so, yeah, those those Panamanian golden frogs that are in the Oakland Zoo are part of that initiative to like Yay. get some into captivity while we figure out, you know, if there is some solution to this fungus. Hmm. But on the natural side, selection side of thing, it I mean, we couldn't get all of them into captivity. Obviously, what's interesting is, you know, a decade later in Panama, after this fungus went through, we're now seeing some of these populations start to come back. And so it does look like natural selection probably has worked for some of these populations and some of these species that they're now not as susceptible to the pathogen as they once were. Right. I was going to ask that too, because, you know, sometimes with um, animals, like one dies out. So another one could like come around, like something's been on earth for 70 million years, it's gone, but then like a new species comes. So like, was there a second wave of newer species? And you're saying, yeah, it had a different thing. So that, that's well, interesting. Yeah, it was more like individuals from those populations that had some like adaptation or something yeah. advantageous some, at the time. Yeah, some allele or something that gave them an advantage. And it was there in the population, you know, before right. the, the fungus came through. But like those, the ones that had that were the ones that survived. And then also that we are seeing like if you take the whole amphibian community, all the different species as a whole, we are seeing that that some species that were kind of rare before are now like doing really well and pretty common. And then some that were really common before, are, you know, really rare now. So there is kind of like shift in the whole community going on. It is wow. crazy. We just sit back as humans and just watch earth take its course. Things happen. If we you can know, just like, sit back and watch, but we got to get it. We can mess it up. Dr. Corey, <laughs> are there, what, what was the, what is the most recent uh, species of uh, amphibian frog that, we've discovered is there ones that are just popping up now that we're finding out about or we kind of know about our species all? we thought were extinct and oh i'm sure there have been species described like in the last week like there's species described really every day. wow yeah yeah of amphibians yeah there's like oh am i giving you the number for just frogs and toads there's like five thousand, i think frog and toad species on the planet that have been described so there's a lot of them and we still have many, many more to describe. No kidding. Mm -hmm.
So this singing, what is it? You don't have to mimic it. Is it like an, an attractive sound or like, I'm sure that's makes them easier to find when you're hearing them. Like, can you pinpoint like, that's a strawberry dart frog. Like we need to go this way. Yeah. So the strawberry dart frog, it sounds like, like a little, like kind of a trill or a pulsing noise. Um, no, that's awesome. And yeah. It's pretty easy to identify once you know what it is. So do they have like a breeding season or, you know, I mean, since they're in Panama, I imagine it's pretty similar weather a year round. They wet, or I guess wet and dry seasons, but do they have a mating season? And then do you know how many eggs usually come out? When yeah. Ready? So they don't seem to really have a mating season. They seem to be sort of reproducing year round. Um, and that, like you said, is because it's pretty much, there is a drier season in that right. part of Panama, but it's still wet. Right. So yeah um and then in terms of eggs um they generally lay like the average size of a clutch which is what you call a group of eggs that's laid right. at one is four so they don't lay very many eggs at a time which, that's it which, if you remember the mom has to take care of all the tadpoles that hatch from those eggs so oh. probably a good thing she doesn't have enough eggs to feed you know huge numbers of mouths of tadpoles yeah i was thinking like you know a hundred or something eggs. Are there frogs that produce that many eggs? And they're just like, okay, hope you survive. Bye. Yeah. Most frogs produce hundreds or thousands of eggs in a clutch. And yes, they do exactly what you just said. They just, you know, <laughs> Dr. Corey, eggs. when you go to the poison dart convention, poison dart frog convention, do you have like the frog calling contest to, you know, is that a popular event? Um, I have never been to the poison dart frog convention, but it sounds amazing. Um, okay. but it is, you know, something you occasionally get asked to do in this field, which is like make the sound of the thing that you study. So, well, when you're at the convention, cool. I would not take your eye off your drink in case somebody slips a poison frog into your drink. <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. So, yeah, let's get into this. Where, how did they get the name dart frog? I mean, these these groups of frogs known as the poison dart frogs. What is the history behind that? If you could explain that to us. So, yeah, the um, there are certain indigenous groups in Central and South America that figured out that they could basically rub the tips of their darts that they use for hunting on the backs of these frogs and that would make their tips more likely to kill when they made it into their whatever they were hunting. So yeah, they, there were some groups that would just rub um, the, the darts on the frogs and I think some actually sort of like made like concoctions out of the frog skin to tip the darts with, which is why they got that name. Okay. Are, are any of these frogs revered by certain cultures, Dr. Corey? Good question. I would guess that the answer is probably yes. So, I mean, that the one that you're looking at on your screen, that, that Panamanian golden frog is like the national frog of Panama and it has oh, its, own, awesome. in, its own day in Panama in every August. So yeah, there's definitely um, they have cultural significance in a lot of places. Does the U.S. have a national frog? I don't know. Mm, like, uh, I don't think we have a national frog. Okay. No, but I know in the state of Pennsylvania, we do have a state amphibian. Which is? It's called a hellbender. It's the biggest salamander in the United States. It's like oh, yeah. I've seen, yes. Hellbender. Those are in Pennsylvania? Yeah. I got to look that up. Yeah, you, you do. They're, they're crazy looking. Okay, yeah. so never, all right, Pennsylvania, we're going to check, put on a, the oh bottom my. of the list now, places to go. Um. <laughs> with, wow. with the environment that they're in in South America, um, or yeah. Um, Central. There, yeah, sorry. Is there any place in the U.S. 
they could actually survive and adapt to? Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, definitely Louisiana, Florida. Um, yeah, there's other invasive frog species that have come from the same area of the Caribbean um, that are doing unfortunately well in Florida and Louisiana and even parts of Texas. So yeah, those are those are the places where they could survive. Now, are they popular in the illegal pet trade? I imagine since they're so colorful and whatnot. I mean, unfortunately, just about every wild animal is popular in the illegal pet trade. But, you know, like some animals are a little bit more popular than others. Sure, they're big in Japan. They like beetles and things like that. What? Yeah. Yeah, they are pretty popular in the illegal pet trade. There's a lot of people that are breeding them, you know, breeding them for the pet trade, too. But there's right. also a lot that are sort of illegal ta illegally taping them, too. Fantastic. Yeah. So have you ever caught any frog poachers in, out in your field research? Um, yes, I have observed frog poachers. Oh, and are you just like, I, I mean, yeah, obviously you don't, it's not worth losing your life over, but I mean, what do you, do you just kind of, I didn't see it. Bye. Yeah. In one case they were poaching from a transect that I was studying frogs on. So like in, in the process of poaching, like ruining all of my data on the population <laughs> size. So in that case, I, I actually bought the frogs back from the guy for, <laughs> for a much smaller sum than, than than what they would have been worth on the train um but just so that <laughs> that right. they would not leave my transect but he probably took them after that right oh i would be so i'd be so pissed. just like look i have a study area and you're not only are you messing it up but you're now taking my study specimen so i need right. you to stop that's right. pretty, that's pretty good right. you see you did save the frogs you, you had to buy them well, back but you did <laughs> it's really hard to measure a population size you know to figure out how you my my goal was to figure out if there was some sort of amount of take that these populations could deal with and not have right. a negative impact but in the meantime you know there was illegal right you're illegal ruining impact. my study and i need you yeah. to stop right. <laughs> that's so dr cory aside from the fungus um i'm sure you know changes in the environment with respect to the things that they live on the thing the places where they like the environment they like to live is that is that sustaining them right now the the things that they eat, the places that they live, uh, aside from the fungus, are the other environmental yeah. factors uh, suitable? Yeah, no. I mean, is the answer ever really yes? Yeah. <laughs> in, right. In that scenario, no. So yeah, the, the big five things that are probably responsible for amphibian declines include disease, but the, the number one is probably land, land use change and, you know, habitat fragmentation, habitat loss. Is oh, Panama uh, amenable to protecting these animals? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard in, in some of these countries where, you know, protecting the wildlife is one of many things they have to balance all at the same time. Yeah, like um, feeding the people, not having the people I, starve. Yeah. I mean, we're, to be honest, the U.S. isn't that great at it either. I right. mean, we like, we want to act like we're the poster, well, we want to be the poster child for eco-friendliness, but we're not that great at it either, so... That's, I think that's probably just a national or an international problem for every country. I was going to ask that too. I know this is a, you might not know um, this and this might be like a touchy topic if you do know to not say, but with that being the case and like those countries needing funds, do you think there's backdoor deals where they allow the poachers in and like kind of, it's kind of a way to take the money to fund certain things, you know what I mean? Or would you say things like that go on? actually don't know. I've only, you know, 
I, yeah, as a non-Panamanian myself, I'm not sure what right. they would tell me anything going on like that. But I could see that kind of happening though in certain. It could probably happen here, honestly. But just I don't know. I always wonder stuff like that with the uh, poaching and government involvement. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure someone's I getting paid off. About are like right. concessions for mining and things like that, where they, you know, have to destroy a huge, you know, the habitat, and it happens that you know a really important species is there. And yeah. Yes. Are you out there with your little frog carrier? Like, let me get these frogs really quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not me in Panama, but unfortunately, some of my Panamanian colleagues have, you know, been involved in those sorts of things. Oh, that's frustrating and sad. So. Um, what I was going to ask next, so with these indigenous, um, people that you were using them as dart, as using them for their darts, would they just keep a little colony and, and with them, or would they go out and hunt for them, bring them back? Or would they just be like, we're going to take these six and you're the dart frogs for today. You're for yeah, however long you live. I have a feeling that they, these frogs were just so common, you know, around, they could just, you know, find one when they needed it and, and use it and put it back. I don't think it really necessarily had to you know, hurt the frog or use up the frog in any way. So right. I have a feeling that they were, they were easy to come by. Okay. Okay. So let's say someone were to eat one of these strawberry frogs. Would you die? I don't think so. Although I don't know anyone who has actually eaten one. I know people who have probably like, be because they're dead. <laughs> picked them up and like tested them like a battery on their tongue to see what, you know, how, how good they are. But <laughs> I have not done that. And I've, done, the, I've done that with nine volt batteries. Uh, yeah, I, I've done it with a battery, but not with the frog. And what was the consensus? What, what was that like? Shocking. It's shocking. Shush. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they said, ooh, ooh, that's a good one. But oh. that's all I can tell you. I don't know if it makes your tongue tingle or what, but. It's going to be a no for me, but yeah. I'm glad someone else tried it. Wow. Okay. So then what can we do to help amphibians in general? Let's, we'll bring it back to what, yeah, how can we help our amphibian friends in general? Upgrade your fungus. Well, beside that. Yeah, yeah, the fungus is a tough one. I mean, there are things that you can do to avoid moving that around. That's that's a big thing. So, like, one of the things we do is if we're out, like, tromping around in the in one wetland, we make sure that we, like, bleach our gear before ah. we go into another wetland so that we're not bringing the pathogen from one place to another. Right. Another thing that can be bad is, like, if you if you're fisher person and you use amphibians as bait where some people do that in in some parts of the world if you're you know moving that bait water around you can be moving that that pathogen around um mm. too so otherwise you know avoiding purchasing amphibians from the pet trade because there's really no you know safeguards on on whether they're healthy when they're moving from place to place um dr corey i have a question for you Yes. Are there any frogs that will give you a psychedelic trip, you know, like uh, give you some like South Park, you lick the toad or there a Simpsons episode, Scott, where they're like licking toads? Which which ones are they and how do you control the dose? (laughs) (laughs) I, I, toads have a reputation for this and how you control the dose, I think is the key question because I think it is probably pretty easy to go from like, you know, a little high from a toad to a dead from a toad. So okay. I, we'll stick with the brownies. It's safer. Right. So yeah, no, this is not toads, but there have been cases with um, some of the newts out in you guys' part of the, the world, actually, where oh. like camp, they would crawl into the water buckets of campers and they didn't know it. And then like they drink the water and then no, they die. No, no. Oh, is that how they figured it out? Because 
I was wondering who would ever lick a frog and say, oh, shit, a I'm newt. having a trip. A newt, not a frog, yeah. a newt. Those are newts, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I mean, the toads do the same thing. Like dogs eat eat toads because, you know, they're being dogs and they'll they'll die from the toxins. So those are the, the ones in our country. Yeah, so what is the, the difference between a toad and a frog? Like, are, are they different species or... Okay. Yeah. Toads are one of the um, groups within the frogs. So okay. all, all toads are frogs, but not all frogs are toads. So toads have shorter legs, drier, bumpier skin. Ah, okay. Okay, gotcha. Because I was like, you know, there. I'm sure maybe you're familiar with that children's book, book Mr. Frog and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Sorry, I'm looking at a hellbender, and this looks like some prehistoric creature that was glued together with different parts, like a platypus almost. And it's it has legs, I think. Do you call those things legs or what do you call them? Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Doesn't it look like it, giant lasagna noodles? It's got a, it's oh, got it a tail like an eel awesome. or a shark. I don't know. It's got a mouth like. Scotty looking it up. <laughs> it's, it's a very strange looking creature, okay? So they, they have some really great nicknames. They're sometimes called snot otters. Or they're called lasagna lizards. Or, yeah, they have some really good. Well, Hellbender is pretty exciting. I mean, right. I'd say Hellbender's just the, their regular name is a pretty exciting name. Yeah, it's not otter. And these uh, salamanders, like, have they been around for millions of years? Because they look prehistoric. Yeah, I mean, yeah, amphibians are, are pretty old, aren't they? Like some of the oldest species. Million years, yeah. Or not species, but like family or whatever. Yeah, they're yeah. amphibians are very ancient technology if you will yes they are. <laughs> yeah the smaller animals survived when the dinosaurs died because they could hide underground oh yes yeah. so do they so aside from like living in pond like you know man rain-made ponds and leaves will they burrow or anything or are they arboreal or what are they are they yeah. both yeah there are frogs that burrow and spend most of their time underground in the desert southwest in the u.s there are these cute little um, actually frogs that are called spadefoot toads um, that just basically come out only to mate and you know lay eggs and have tadpoles and then they go right back down into the ground so yeah there's lots of burrowing they're the true frogs. mole people mole Dr. Frogs. Corey do you have an associate that is studying the hellbender or or I yeah I do have friends that study we, we we do, we need to get them on because this hellbender it says oh, that it's, it's inside the fight to save the hellbender it, they're slipping away so there must be I'm not sure what's making them slip away but uh th this is like a weird looking creature and uh that yeah, one, yeah we definitely do a hellbender show yeah we, we would love we would love to yes if you're Ellie, if you have a colleague that wants to come on yeah, Ellie the way your dad's reacting you got to get Paul Clerker from Alien Sharks on too so he could look at some of those things yeah oh I know I know so Dr. Corey what's your favorite field experience or what's give us a good ex field experience and then one that was maybe kind of sketch I mean having poachers that seems kind of crazy but yeah your best field experience and your not so best field experience <laughs> <laughs> before the, we wrap up here yeah definitely the best field experience was so that that panamanian golden frog that um that i did my phd on that basically i thought it was extinct by the end of my phd oh uh, at the end of like 10 years we i we me and um one of my good colleagues decided we would go looking for them again because I kept getting asked, like, should we declare this thing extinct? And I'm like, well, who's oh. looking for it? 
So we went looking for it again. And on our first trip, we found just a single one of those frogs, but it was like the first time we'd seen one in such a long time. We thought it was gone. So that was definitely. Was that best. published when you guys found that? Okay. Yeah. yeah because did. I want to say, I saw like some article where it's like frog that was thought to be extinct for the last decade was they felt like scientists found one, you know, one adult out in the wild. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's so we have cool. found a few more since then, but like only a few and yeah, but um, that was definitely the best. Oh, I don't know what worst. I mean, so are you um, ethically, morally, legally allowed to try to increase the population when you find one male here and one female there? Do you, or you can't mess with that? Uh, what, 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 what's well, the protocol? I mean, yeah, I mean, usually in those situations, a bunch of biologists and conservation biologists put our heads together and try to figure out what is the best solution. Um, and, you know, sometimes there are things that we can do, like, like those animals that we have in captivity, those are the same species, but they're, you know, in captivity, sometimes we can release them, you know, back to their natural habitat and see if that works. Probably. You ever take them over for like a play date, you know, from one <laughs> captivity to no, the other? No, you don't want to spread no. the fungus. If they have the fungus, no, then you're No, no, if they're, not fu if they're not infected, I mean, you want to increase the population, so... Right. But the problem is they're also they're also still susceptible because they weren't around for the natural selection bit. So Oh yes, oh. you could be putting the weaker gene right. ones back out in the ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. As, is there anyone working on a uh, uh, vaccination for the fungus? Yeah. Who's giving frog people, shots? Sorry. Yeah, there are people working <laughs> on so many different try ways to try to to fix this fungus problem. So I have colleagues that are working on uh, using probiotics, using um, you know skin microbe, skin microbes that are good at fighting against the fungus on the skin, like bathing them in beneficial microbes. Is and this called a citrid fungus? C H Y T R I D. Yeah, it's, it's pronounced chytrid, but that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like cyte, but <laughs> okay, you know, cyte. A lot of like, look at if you look at the word lichen, like it doesn't look like it's, it's, being it's pronounced affecting lichen. the hellbender as well. It is. Yeah. Save the hellbender <laughs> and the frogs. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, African frog frog spreads deadly amphibian fungus. So that, I mean, that's just, it's so frustrating that, you know, these things, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tasmanian devil, but they have that facial disease that's yeah. just wiping them out. And unfortunately, it seems like almost none of them have some type of, you know, allele or, you know, phenotype or genotype that's making them be okay. But it's horrific. I mean, they're almost, they're about to be wiped off the face of the earth because it's just right. like this disease. No one seems, none of them seem to have some sort of natural immunity to it, but. Right. Um, so Dr. I, Corey, is this, is this spread by people releasing frogs in the wild? Is that how this stuff, is that the number one reason this stuff spreads around? Because well, I mean, she made a good animal point. you're having in, in Pennsylvania, it's, it's, it seems crazy. She made a point about like, you know, bleaching your gear. And remember when we went to the aquarium and they had us clean our shoes before we yeah. walked around. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, cross-contamination, think about cross-contamination in a yeah. kitchen. I imagine on that scale with people traveling all through the country yeah. on your clothes. Right, so they actually think the bullfrog is a big part of it because the bullfrog is mostly what's farmed for like frog legs. Ah. And it's moved all around the world um, and farmed all around the world for frog legs. And so probably the the bullfrog and the trade in the bullfrog is probably a big part of why that fungus is moving around because bullfrogs are um, really, they can tolerate like really heavy loads of this pathogen without getting sick. 
So they're like really good sort of super spreaders of the fungus. So, so it's almost like the natural yeast on our skin that, you know, like we can tolerate, 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 and then it gets out of whack. And okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for the bullfrog it is. For other frogs, right. like that it's kind just... of the golden frog, like a little tiny infection will lead to death. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. So do they, they have like kind of a mucusy kind of film, don't they? Yeah. Okay. What is that made of? I'm assuming that's obviously, I'm assuming that's to keep their skin nice and moist, but what does that consist of? And are some slimier than others? Yep. The mucus, there's definitely some are slimier than others, but the mucus is actually really cool. It does a lot of things for the amphibian. So one of the important things it does is help with um, immune defenses. So there's a lot of, um, there's things in the mucus that include like antibodies against particular pathogens, but there's also things called antimicrobial peptides that the amphibians produce themselves and they secrete into their mucus. So the mucus is like a really important protective layer. Yeah. Well, this is similar to fish. Fish have a a slime on them that keep them healthy and keep, uh, they have a, it's called ick. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a Mm -hmm. disease that fish get, but they also have a a healthy slime uh, on them. I suspect it's kind of similar. Yeah. Um, Wow. Interesting. We're going we're gonna to have to come back and do a hellbender. Okay. We she's... may have to just do a, an amphibian. Yeah, we're going to have to have Dr. Corey back to just talk about all of her amphibian research, to be honest. If she <laughs> wants to come back, we probably drove her nuts. You probably drove you, her nuts. Do you but... know, uh, do you know uh, Thomas Floyd, a wildlife biologist with Georgia Department of Natural Resources? I do not know him. Okay. He's a, uh, the fungus is found in hellbender habitats on the animals themselves. He's, uh, he's talking about this. Boy, I didn't even know that that, that it, this fungus was killing off the hellbenders. I didn't even know what a hellbender was until we spoke to you. So I hope I hope you don't mind our um, basic questions, but I guess, uh, you know, we appreciate your- Yes, thank you very much for your time. And, and yeah, this, no you know, nature is, in, is amazing. I mean, with, that's why I asked you about the Department of Defense because everything that nature produces, they want to know about. I'm surprised that, you know, all the Russian nerve gas, you know, where the poisonings that they do, and they're probably using frog uh, derivatives for for. <laughs> so there was there is a poison frog toxin that was tried out as a as a drug actually for a while, um, but it was too difficult to control. It was yeah. in the painkiller. Oh, the painkiller that kills you. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> hey, listen. Did you think during the plague that they thought that botulism was going to be used for cosmetics? <laughs> Right. So what do they call that off, off shelf or off list or something like that? There's a, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Viagra was initially a heart medication and then they found out for, it yeah, did Rogaine other things better for hair and uh, Propecia. They're all, they're all secondary uses. Yeah. But anyway, quite a we few certainly appreciate after. your information and we definitely want you to hook us up with the hellbender. I like the name of the animal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll make you, we'll get you a shirt. But yes, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Corey. We will have to do like just a a general list amphibian episode with you since you are our resident amphibian (laughs) expert as of now. Um, Yeah, follow us on Instagram, Just Animals Pod. If you have any questions for Dr. Corey, let us know. We'll definitely, if she wants to come back, we will definitely love to have her back on the show to just do general amphibian knowledge. Um, And you can also shoot us an email. You can check out Scott True Exact. And thank you as always for listening, Dr. Corey. Again, thank you so much for your time and knowledge. We really appreciate it. Hope you uh, didn't mind our basic questions. Nope, no problem. Well, Otto, do you approve of this week's episode? (laughs) 